For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In this morning's passage, the Apostle Paul takes a moment to reflect on his suffering for the work of the gospel. By doing so, we learn invaluable insights as to what serving the Lord is all about. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Christian Ministry. All right, let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that... Your Holy Spirit's here to help us understand your word. Your word is living and breathing and active. It's not just like a novel. It's something that is supernatural. You sent it to to make known your truth, and your truth sets our hearts free. So may that be the case even this morning. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I wonder what it was like to be the great apostle Paul. I was thinking about this. He is the uh, man uh, who penned, held the pen as the Holy Spirit uh, spoke through him uh, and authored this book of Colossians that we've been studying. Wow, such an amazing uh, Christian, perhaps the greatest that ever uh, lived. You know, he wrote most of the New Testament. Let me show you just so you can see the chart, you know. Everything in green, top shelf and bottom, was written through the pen, of course, by the Holy Spirit, but through the vessel he chose there, the Apostle Paul. And take a look. I mean, you can study his life from Acts chapter 9 all the way to the end of the book of Acts. It shows how this proud, persecuting Pharisee named Saul became the great missionary apostle Paul. And so let me show you where he took uh, the Christian message. I mean, this guy is amazing. Every place you see, this is over a 10, 12-year period, 10,000 miles totally. And it was just really Paul the apostle and a bunch of men that he uh, evangelized and discipled and raised up for the purpose of bringing the message of the gospel to the Roman world, and that he did. It was just an amazing person. Thank you for that slide. You know, in a, in a rare moment in our passage this morning, this great missionary, pastor, evangelist, and teacher uh, opens up in a, in, in a rare moment and uh, gives us a glimpse of his heart and his life. It's something that he doesn't do a lot, but he starts to reflect on the suffering. He's in prison for the gospel, for presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he is going to um, share and reflect on his suffering and ministry and what ministry is all about. In doing so, we learn about what, what it is we're doing here this morning what Christian service is all about, why we go to church, why we read our Bibles, why we sing, why we give, the whole 
point of ministry is in one little paragraph of Paul just kind of reflecting on his life and ministry. And you remember the word minister is used of all Christians. As soon as you become a Christian, the word diakonos, which is translated minister, is used of all believers. And so in one form or another, you're part of the ministry effort. And so today we're going to get that effort defined in, in a quick nutshell. And here's what it looks like. He's talking first about his suffering. He says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to the to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And so that is going to be our text to reflect on uh, this morning. And here uh, he's going to start talking really about uh, four important things that involve the ministry. So if you're a Christian and you go to church and you consider yourself a servant of the Lord, there are four ideas in this paragraph that uh, we need to uh, understand. Number one, he says that we have this call, and in the call, when God calls us to himself, he gives us something to do. Paul calls it a commission to join him in his work uh, to share the gospel in this world. And so if you're taking notes, the first point will be our call. And it's not always a pleasant one to share the gospel in this world. And that's what he's saying. So number one, the, our call. Number two, we have a soul-saving message. It's the message that comes into a person's heart and, and the truth about Christ sets that heart free. And so number two will be our message. And then number three, there's a, there's a way to share the gospel. And he, and he just takes one sentence there and shows us our method. So number three, our method, note takers. And then number four, in all of this activity and all the hustle and bustle of the Christian life, there's one aim. There's one aim. If somebody asked you, what's this church all about? What are you all about? What's Christianity all about? You could say one sentence, and it's right there at the end of the verse. Need some explanation. But he tells you in a simple sentence, what, 66 books of the Bible, 31,000 verses, 1,200 chapters is all about one message, and there it is, our aim, our aim. So, note takers, call, message, method, and aim. Let's start with the call, and we find out that there's some suffering uh, in the call. So, uh, the call involves some suffering in this world, and we know that because we identify with Jesus. It's his call, his word, his life that we're emulating. And when he came and said those words and lived that life, uh, he endured uh, martyrdom. 
And so in the same way, we represent him. We see the same things that got him nailed to a cross. And so we generally understand, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, we got it. We understand that he said, listen, you're going to have to learn to tell yourself no a lot, pick up your cross, and follow, because in this world, uh, you're going to face some trouble when you identify with me, because this world is a place that doesn't receive God's truth very well. And so we get the fallout of that. We get that. But how Paul kind of phrases it here has given commentators a little bit of a headache in that they're trying to understand the, the, how profound verse 24 is. And so we're going to take a look at it. Now, generally, we get the general idea of what he's saying. He's really saying, hey, I'm a servant of the church. I'm suffering for you guys. I've preached the word. And because of my ministry, I'm in jail, suffering for you. And I'm glad to do it. So we we get the gist of it. But let's take verse 24 apart, because what does that mean? He says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Well, that part is easy. Clause one, check. Uh, He's happy to rejoice because it's a noble cause. He loves the Lord. He loves that people are going to get saved and helped. And so uh, even if it means suffering on his part, uh, the benefit to others, you know, a noble cause. You know, you think of it, it's pretty easy if your mom or your dad needed a kidney and you were a perfect match, son or daughter. You know, you don't even need, need any anesthesia. Just take that uh, kidney out, right? Uh, be, and you'd be glad to do it out of love, right? And so we get the first part. He's happy to suffer for the Lord. He loves Jesus became a man, died on a cross for him. He's showing love to his Lord, and he's showing love to people. He wants people to end up in heaven. And if that means he's got to go to jail, he says, hey, I'm, I'm happy, that my message benefited you all, even though it cost me a little bit, but I'm glad to do it. Check, we got that. Now here's the part that's hard. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of the church. Well, let's take that apart. Now, I was taught in seminary that when you have an, an obscure verse, you use the clear verses in the Bible to help you understand that which seems to be a little unclear. And so there are plenty of verses that talk about the adequacy of Christ's suffering. There is nothing lacking in Christ's affliction regarding redemption. He just told us, and this is dozens and dozens of places. Let me quote to you. It says, For God was pleased to have all God's fullness dwell in Christ, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. So Jesus will cry out, it is finished. And when Jesus says something is finished, believe me, it's completed. It's done. It's sufficient. The sin problem is over. So nothing is lacking in that regard. So what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, would be better understood as what's incomplete or unfinished is his suffering in the church in this world because the age of grace is not over. So post-resurrection Jesus, he's done in his body suffering. 
There's no more afflictions. He's the risen Lord, right? But he is present in his people who are still on the earth seeking and saving the lost, which is what he was about. He sent us on the same errand, right? And there's the pushback. So there's martyrdom. (laughs) Pastors are being thrown into jail in parts of the world. People are being mocked and marginalized and ostracized and insulted. And in that regard, Christ's afflictions are lacking uh, still because they're not completely finished. Ministry is still going on. Now, let me just give you a text to prove that, is when Paul the Apostle was confronted by the Lord himself. Acts chapter 9, what was the Lord's question to this rebel Pharisee? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you persecuting me? Now, to be persecuted means to be caused pain. He says, I'm in, you're persecuting me. Well, he's speaking from heaven, as we're seated on a throne running the universe, and he's saying, I am suffering, and you are causing it. Why? What's your problem, Saul? Why are you persecuting me? And I could just wonder, wonder if Paul was thinking to himself, what do you mean you? I don't have a problem with you. I don't even know who you are. I'm persecuting these people. In persecuting the people, in afflicting the people, you're afflicting me. And so the afflictions of Christ live on. If there's unfinished business on this earth, there's unfinished persecution and suffering left for Paul. Now, what does he mean by I fill up in my body? He's saying, listen, I'm a leader. I'm out in front. And so I'm like the sponge, Okay, And so on the diversion, and so they got me, and they chained me, and they flogged me. You guys are running free. So I'm taking the brunt out front, filling up all of what's left for the church to have to suffer, and I'm glad to do it. They got a hold of me, and I, I, I'm kind of the diversion for the moment. You guys are free. I'm locked up. And so, but you know what? I'm happy to do it. Now, What I want you to see is is that what has gotten this man into trouble gets us all into trouble and causes all of our persecutions. Now, this is just part of the Christian life. Peter tells uh, uh, Christians who are being persecuted there in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, why are you acting like something strange is happening to you in all of this persecution for being Christians. He said, Did it, don't you remember we told you this? We're destined for these things. And, and, and let me show you how Jesus put it. On the night he was betrayed at the Last Supper, he told his disciples, John 15, he says, if the world hates you, they've got a problem with you. Keep in mind that it's because of me. <laughs> it has nothing to do with you. You're, you're, you're representing me. If you belong to the world, It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world rejects you, doesn't get you, uh, is irritated by you, dislikes you, or hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So this is what I want you to see. And you can go back to the verse. What causes the trouble in your calling is presenting 
The word of God, check this out. This is what, the bottom line, in all of its fullness. That's the problem. When you, (laughs) you know the automated walkways at the airports, right? We were all, the Bible teaches that all humanity was on one giant conveyor belt heading the wrong direction. And that the Holy Spirit through the gospel comes and he takes people off of that conveyor belt and saves them from that Christless eternity. When you get off the belt, it's not just to save you from the destiny that's so terrible, it's to employ you into the mission call to seek and save the lost so that we walk along the side of the conveyor belt, now off and walking the other direction, trying to get people's attention. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Get off the belt. You don't have to be on that belt. You have no idea where that's going. And that presenting the fullness of the word of God, the fullness of it includes the Christless eternity, includes the turning from your sins. It includes all the parts that people don't want to hear. And so you're walking alongside and you're saying, hey, do you realize this road, where it goes? I was on that road. I was on that escalator. I saw a light. I heard a voice. The Lord has changed my life. Let me tell you about him. And that irritates people with a message that says it's only Christ. He alone can save you because he's God. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to uh, the Father but through him. So what are you telling me? In the fullness, see, he presents the word of God in its fullness. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that's what sets the heart free. That's what saves us is the fullness. You can't leave a part out. If you leave out a key ingredient of something, you don't have the whole thing anymore. And so what the Gnostics were doing was taking the parts out that would cause a conflict. And they would say, Paul's in jail. You can't trust him. And he's preaching. He's teaching you a message that's going to land you in the same prison. We've got the same understanding, the same gospel, but in a different format that's a lot more user-friendly. But he's saying, listen, (laughs) you are to take the word of God in its fullness. And people are going to ask you, well, define marriage. That's in the fullness Now we've got progressive Christians who've decided, I'll give you the word of God, but not in its fullness. That's the problem. That's the gospel. Define marriage. Define hell. Is Jesus the only way? Is Muhammad a prophet? These are questions that your brothers and sisters living in 21 different countries, where it's against the law to do what we're doing right now, have to to answer the question. They have to present the fullness of the word of God, and it's the fullness of the word of God that could get them killed. So the temptation is to take away the fullness so that you could get more likes on Facebook, you know, so that you can be more popular at work, so that people won't insult you or think you're narrow-minded or a hate monger or whatever. Listen, look at me. Do not take away the fullness of God, the fullness of the truth of the word of God because that is what saves. It's the whole truth and nothing but the truth even if it's going to cost you some time in the slammer 
or no one's coming for Thanksgiving over a house like yours. You know what? I'd rather put a smile on God's face and have everybody else around me with frowns. Because in the end, it matters to me what the Lord thinks. Amen? So he goes on, he's on this message thing, and so he's going to kind of uh, define it. He says, the mystery that has been kept hidden, this gospel, for ages and generations, but now it's disclosed to saints. Saints, you know, I've said it many times, it just means a word separated from sin and the world and separated to God. That's what that word means. That's all, not moral perfection. It just means serving God now. Right? And he's made this great mystery known to his people. And here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let's talk about this because that's pretty cool. There's this core message. It's the bottom line of the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's revelation to man is, is that you, you can have a personal relationship with God. This was and is a great mystery, and especially what that means and looks like. So let's take a look at it now. Now, what was the mystery? 4,000 years of Old Testament, 4,000 years of the Old Testament, not one clue of the gospel that you and I talk about all the time. The angels didn't know. There's, the Old Testament is a dark and gloomy place for the most part. Where's heaven in the Old Testament? Show me really hard to find. There's a couple little verses, but it, when they died, did you notice when they died? They go down to Hades in the Old Testament, and that's exactly where they went to a place called Abraham's side, which was called paradise. It's kind of like pre-heaven, but sins were not paid for. So there's this great mystery that was, was swirling about how is God going to reconnect us to life? Because you know the story, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind, sin entered the world, and death through sin. So when we sinned, we unplugged from life. Our spirits died. Man, we were body, body soul, and spirit. And that spirit was connected to God's spirit. God's spirit, the son, the father. And we were joined to God by our spirit and his spirit. He said, the day you disconnect from me, the day you join ranks with the evil one, the day you betray everything that's true and right and use your free will and do the wrong thing, you will sever yourself from the source of life and you will die. And spiritually speaking, they died. And they had spiritually dead babies. Yeah, they looked okay on the outside, but they were disconnected. So the mystery is how are they ever going to be, as a race, reconnected? The power went out, the lights went off, and death happened to all of us. And then the mystery was affirmed and the problem affirmed in Old Testament worship when God's people got out of Egypt and landed up at Mount Sinai. The law came down. It was a nasty, dark, and gloomy experience to meet God without a savior. Let me tell you that. Exodus 19, read it. Earthquakes, thunderings, lightning, 
fire, blazing black smoke, and a voice and trumpet sounds that scared them to death. They were saying, don't let him speak lest we die. Moses was saying, if even an animal touches over the line and touches the mountain, it will be stoned to death. And anybody who comes near the mountain shall be executed. This was Old Testament. Why he's making a point? How are we going to fix this? It was a bloody mess. Moses was dipping hyssop branches into blood, and in that scene before the smoky mountain and bellowing with flames and thundering voices, he's spattering them with blood. On the end of the branches, he's dipping it in blood and, and, and going like this. What's this mystery is that somehow the death of another on the behalf of the sinning party somehow will appease all of this terrible anger and estrangement from God. Judaism for 1,400 years, 1,000 years, in a temple, the, 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 the curtain, the veil, separated God from mankind. And behind that veil... If you step foot, you'd be killed. Once a year, somebody could go in with blood of a sacrifice to offer to say, we know we deserve to die, but someone died for us, so here it is. And year after year, a thousand years of blood, 600 years under Solomon's temple, 400 more years of blood, blood, blood. 400 years of, it's called Zerubbabel's temple or Ezra in Nehemiah's temple, 400 years. That's a thousand years of blood on what hill? It's Mount Moriah. That's the hill that Jesus will come on that hill after a thousand years of dress rehearsals, blood, death on behalf of you and temporary forgiveness. But that. Uh, the mystery, what? who's going to, how is that ever, where's the life, you know? Outwardly, okay, I got forgiven, I brought a lamb, I confessed my sins onto this poor, innocent lamb, and right there, while my hands are on its head, Old Testament worship, the, 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 the poor thing's throat slit, Old Testament. And because of your sins were imputed upon that lamb, you were counted forgiven because it died instead of you. So who's going to fix this? How's the curtain going to come down? So it starts to unfold with the appearance of the God-man born of a virgin, no human father, God himself, the mystery comes into this world as one of us to bear our sins and to reconcile us by bearing our sins. So upon the God-man, all the sins of the world laid upon him and the wrath of God comes down and strikes Jesus. And that torturous scene is to show us the Lamb of God. When Jesus appeared and rounded a corner, John the Baptist saw him and announced him to Israel. He's 30 years old. The first thing that was said of Jesus Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Aha! Okay, now we get it. Instead of bringing a lamb in, we've got this person who was born of a virgin, 
the Son of God, who is being called the Lamb of God, does that mean by his death and his blood and his sacrifice that we will be made right? Well, you know the stories on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quote Psalm 22, down comes the wrath of God. No rescue. And it's his own body being torn. The New Testament says that's the temple. The temple curtain, his flesh being torn open. And so Jesus breathes his last. He says, it is finished. And he dies. The next verse says, and the temple curtain was torn with an earthquake from top to bottom signifying who's doing the tearing. That curtain, don't picture some little chiffon lace dealy, you know, <laughs> please. It was the thickness of a man's hand. It weighed about a thousand pounds. It was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide, right? That thing was torn just as easy as just unzipping it by the death of the God-man. So the mystery revealed, okay, the mystery, God in himself sheds his blood. That's what the blood and the sacrifice is all about. Now I got to weigh in. He dies, he's buried, he rises, he ascends to heaven and sends his Holy Spirit. And then he gets to the conveyor belt and he starts calling out, come to me. Whoever, whosoever trusts in me, even if you die, you'll never live. Come to me. Get off of the, 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 the wrong way. Turn. Repent. Jesus' first words were repent. It means to turn around. And so he goes to the conveyor belt, and he gets a few people, and here's the mystery. And here's what kept me so long from becoming a Christian. Nobody explained this to me. Lots of people shared the gospel with me, but nobody was this clear. This is what I needed. It's not the old you coming off the conveyor belt and doing some Christian things. You gotta start doing this, you gotta stop doing that, you're gonna like this kind of stuff, you can't like that kind of stuff. That's what I thought. Nobody told me the mystery, Christ in you, that the Holy Spirit of God Himself would take up residence in our hearts and lives. That He, listen, when he comes in, that's why Jesus said you've got to be born again. You have to be born again because we died. So when we hear the gospel and we put our trust in Jesus, we open our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes in and zzz, there's the power. The lights get turned back on. The Spirit is joined to God's own Spirit, Christ in you. Now, the, the angels, they, they, they just can't believe, that, wow, God would come down and do that and then send his spirit. The Old Testament people, they, they worship from afar. They could see God. He's off there and some priest doing something in there. And now he says, you're the temple. God's spirit comes inside of your heart. Jesus said over and over again that if and that he was going to send his spirit to be in us, you see. And so that's just an, an amazing thing that nobody really realized that that was going to happen. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice I'll, and open the door, I'll come inside of you 
and make my home there. Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? And let's talk about who Jesus Christ is. He's God. He created all things. And where does he hang out? He came inside and knit himself like a husband and wife become one. That's the mystery revealed, is that anyone who gets off that conveyor belt becomes joined as a husband and wife to become one with who? With Jesus Christ. Christ in you. Then he calls it the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Well, hope means the anticipation of a future reality, right? And glory is everything that is in heaven. Everything God has prepared for those who love him. The streets of gold, the angelic hosts, the thrones and the crowns of reward and the reigning and ruling with Christ, all of that. He's saying, listen, it's not the hope of glory, Christ in you, is it's not out there somewhere for you to be hoping and reaching and yearning and longing for, that when Christ comes in and knits himself to your own soul, everything future that has to do with heaven is knit to you. It's already a part fused forever and ever to who you are. So that brings this assurance this security, this joy, this confidence, this, this love, this response to God, that everything that you know is coming and is written about heaven, eternal life, the glory of God the Father wiping away everybody's tears with his own hands, God the maker reaching out and touching your face, man. All of that has become revealed as a mystery kept hidden forever, (laughs) practically, that Christ and all of that is an inner reality. He told the Pharisees, Jesus did, he hinted at this. He said, you keep talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. He's saying it's not primarily something you guys are going to look and say, hey, there's the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is within you. He's hinting, listen, if you ever hope to see the physical manifestation of the kingdom of God, and it is coming, and you will see it, it's a real thing. But unless Christ is in you, and you've gotten off the conveyor belt, and he's fused his spirit to you and made you alive, then you will never see the physical manifestation of the future glory. Because first, the future glory, the hope of glory, is Christ in you. First has to happen. And then you enter through gates. The kingdom that's coming. Then he closes up. He's going to say, this message is mind-blowing, but he's got this beautiful sentence here. It's just a brief thought. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So here's the message. There's a lot of things to say about Christianity. They're in those 66 books, and there's a lot to talk about, about the Lord, but it better all come together in a person. We proclaim not a religion, not a list of do's and don'ts, not a, look, you got to stop this, you got to start doing that. No, 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 no. We proclaim him a being, a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, this just happened to me on Thursday. I was giving some kid a ride. He might even be here uh, this morning. A nice young man. He needed a ride. I gave him a ride. Poking around, asking him about the gospel. He said, yeah. He says, uh, well, you know, uh, my, I have a friend who's really into it. And uh, I know I should be into it, but I'm not really into it. I said, just stop right there. Let me help you out. I'm going to change one of your words. One of your words, and this is exactly how the conversation went. One of your words, it, needs to go to him. All right, him. And he goes, yeah, of course. Yeah, I am. And, and, I, and I go, the Lord. The Lord. It's about the Lord. So listen, uh, instead of saying, uh, I, I need to get into it, it's, it's really about a person. He's got a face. He's got eyes. He has a heart of love for you. He has nail-scarred hands and arms that open wide that want to love you. The same hands that, that created you. The same hands that you're going to see one day when you die because he's there in heaven. The same hands that love you and are pleading, come to me and find rest. I said, wouldn't that be a lot nicer than getting into it, right? (laughs) And he said, yeah, that sounds a lot nicer. I said, father, person, love, relationship. We proclaim him, Oh, oh, stop with the, with the way. Sinners sin. That's their job description. That's what they do. They're supposed to sin. So, so we get offended. We, we, get, we get the sin and we start to talk about the sin, the sin, the sin. That's not quite the message. The message is there's a God in heaven. He died on the cross for us. He loves you. That's the message. Yes, and we have other things to say about other things. Uh, let me tell you a funny story. It happened in uh, San Francisco about 20 years ago in a ministry that we were doing there. Uh, working with a young man who came to church that he was not yet a believer. He was hanging around with us, so we went after him. <laughs> we, we, we bought him lunch, you know, and uh, one of the gals, you would love her, uh, her uh, she went, brought, took him to lunch and then uh, went over to his apartment. And here's how she told the story. She said, hey, Ross, I got a funny one. The Lord really whacked me upside of the head today about something. And she told the story. So she's leaving. Let's call him Daryl, since that's his name. <laughs> Dar- she's leaving Daryl's apartment. And she saw a very nasty poster on the wall and uh, said, Daryl, that needs to come down. And she's telling me the story. She said, Daryl, that, that's just wrong. That, you got to take that down. And Daryl said, you know what? I'm not even in the boat yet. And I, I just know that if Jesus is who you say he is, when I am in the boat, then Jesus will tell me what needs to come down and what can stay. But until then, I think there are other more significant things we could be talking about. <laughs> what? Oh, man, don't you hate it when God does that through someone's mouth like that, you know? She said, I stand corrected, yeah. And he did come to the Lord, and he did take the poster down. (laughs) (laughs) However, oh, oh, but it's not about the poster. Oh, it's not about who you marry, which gender. 
The Bible talks about that and definitely has an answer for that. But that's not the message because if you change that even, and without him, the, we proclaim him, you don't have him. It doesn't matter. Moral reformation, all you want, you're still on the conveyor belt. You have to get off the conveyor belt heading toward condemnation and have a new life. And once you meet him, what did the Samaritan woman say? John chapter 4 at the well. She got it right. Jesus touched her heart, said some things. Like, wow, this is supernatural. She got zapped, right? So she goes back to town and she's saying, here's her message. Come meet a man who told me everything. He knew everything about me. He speaks and I'm like, whoa, I'm like unraveled before him. Could he be the savior of the world? That's our message. Oh, you shouldn't say stuff like that. Stop that nonsense. Come meet a man. Change my life. Well, he's more than a man. He didn't have an earthly father. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit. We call him the God-man. Come meet a man. We proclaim him. Now, he does go on to say admonishing and teaching. It's our job. Admonishing means correcting. And there's a lot of correcting, but it's him-centered. It's Christ-centered correcting, and it's Christ-centered teaching. And so when your friend is anxious about something, you can teach through your experience and through a scripture. Uh, we are supposed to be teaching each other and admonishing each other and in the world. But with wisdom, you know, you have to know when to speak, when not to speak. When someone gets that look on their face, you need to stop. Now, unless you're up here, and then, it, I mean, you do get that look on your face, but I have to keep going. <laughs> but there are some instances where someone's sending vibes back off. That's the wisdom part. Right? And so you don't talk to an atheist who's angry the same way you, you do somebody who grew up in the church who's not walking with the Lord. You, it's about, that word there means discernment, tact, diplomacy, being led of the Holy Spirit. Not just this formula had a guy who uh, in street ministry days, we were out on the sidewalk and he jumped out with a track in front of an, uh, an older woman and he, he, she didn't see him and he jumped down and said, Jesus loves you. And I, she almost had a heart attack, you know? And I was like, I took him aside and said, Jack, 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 no, no. Just kind of work into it a little slowly, like, like, like hello, how are you? Uh, <laughs> wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom. Can I tell you a sneak in a quick story? Thank you. <laughs> all one of you, and you're all going to pay because I'm telling it. <laughs> Listen, wisdom. There's a woman at, and I've told this before, it's one of my favorite ones. I was a teacher, and uh, there was a, uh, one of my coworkers, really hostile to Christianity, and when she heard I was a pastor, uh, it was her mission in life to make my life miserable. And she did a pretty good job of it. And, uh, you know, she'd insult me. She'd mock the way I dressed, anything. Uh, it was terrible. 
And um, I developed a little bit of negative feelings toward her because <laughs> that was a nice way of saying it. <laughs> and uh, uh, so one day I was out and Barb and I were just shopping around and I saw uh, a beanie baby. Uh, it was a black tarantula. Now, now she collected beanie babies, right? And it was in the age of the beanie babies. And so I said to Barb, I'm going to buy this black tarantula and, and let's call her Nancy since that's her name. <laughs> Nancy, I'm going to take this tarantula back to Nancy and say, hey, I saw this tarantula in her and I was thinking of you. <laughs> so Barb said, no, you're not going to do that, right? Wisdom, wisdom. And so next to the tarantula was a little worm, a little worm, baby little worm, and it was a rainbow striped. And I just thought, that's more fitting, you know? So I bought the little rainbow wormy baby. And I brought it back. Monday morning staff meeting, 8 a.m. We sat down, and uh, I put the beanie baby in front of me, and I made sure to sit next to Nancy. And I, she's right here. And I set it down. Her eyes lit up. And she looked at it, and I slid it over and said, for you. And she, she, she just couldn't hide her joy. She said, oh, I've been looking for him forever. I've got the mommy worm, and I need the baby worm, right? And so I needed this worm. She goes, oh, where did you find it? She looks over, and she's smiling, and then she goes, oh. When she looked at me, she realized, I was the one giving it to her. So she, her, all her, her countenance fell when she realized, oh, I love this little baby. Oh, it's you. <laughs> right? So, so uh, she's, our eyes meet, and I'll never forget it. She goes, oh, I love you. Oh, and I said, thank you, Ross. <laughs> and she said, thank you, Ross. <laughs> Ever since then. We were BFFs. Oh, my. She was just my greatest little cheerleader. She called me her little buddy. I, I didn't like being called the little buddy, but you know what? I preferred it over the previous names. <laughs> but she'd see me. I'd walk in the door. She'd put her arm around me all the time, my little buddy, you know? So I said, hey, I've got a book for you to read about Christianity, the Christian faith. She said, give it to me. I'll read it. And she read it. She was so open, and she was really sad when it was when it's time to quit. The church was growing. I couldn't work there anymore. And she just let me know. She said, I'm going to miss you. What? Come on. So I still pray for her. I don't know what's happening, but I'll tell you what. Boy, come on. I, you know what? It was a gentle answer turns away wrath. I read that, and I was thinking, do something nice for her. You know, no tarantulas, you know? <laughs> Shout out to my wise wife there. So yeah, using wisdom, admonishing. Now the last line, and then we finish up here. It's a hard to understand thought, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, here it is. I labor, struggle with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So here's the classic. It's not really our effort, but we do strive to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's working in our own hearts and lives. There's a lot of energy-packed words in here. Just so you know, labor, struggling with all, struggling, energy, 
powerfully working. It's just one sentence that's a lot of sweat and a lot of work. And he's saying, my entire Christian life, every ounce of my effort goes to one aim. And that one aim is why we are here today, why you read your Bible, why we give to missions, why we support the church. It's the reason that we live to present everyone perfect in Christ. What does that mean? That our, by our efforts, cooperating with God, who's trying to seek and save the lost, to get people off the conveyor belt that leads to perishing. That we, by our efforts, by our admonishing, by our teaching, by our labor, by presenting the word of God in all its fullness, that somebody is going to be in heaven. Now, perfect there means complete or mature, so that as a result of being around us, that they are more fully faithful, more fully rewarded in heaven. First of all, they're in heaven. So depending on where you find a person, let me use a metaphor like this. I think you'll understand what he's saying. Through uh, the rescue famous uh, 2010 coal mining accident in Chile, uh, 69 days, what was it, maybe uh, 33 men were buried alive with a little bit of oxygen, a little bit of room, a little bit of way to get some air and some water and some supplies down there. 69 days trapped. Let me show you the site. All right, and so for uh, a couple months, uh, this was in the news, 69 days, and men worked day and night to free them. And so there was this whole thing that went on, but they put down a camera and they showed an image that went viral. And here's the image. These men, 33 of them, no hope, buried, powerless, helpless, depending on a rescue, right? So what happens is they get the shaft built and they get this little uh, container and one by one, they let it down. They reinforced everything. It took 69 days. And they set it down there, and they got in. And one by one, they hauled them up, and they took care of them. And the families came together, and they rescued them. And they cleaned them up, and they gave them medical care. And there was nurturing and caring presenting them perfect, listen, mature. So to this scene here, here are the 33 men who were presented to the then president and first lady of Chile there. Those are all the survivors. Can you imagine? And here's the analogy. Of all those who gave money and worked and labored and some people held ropes and other people uh, funded it and other people were there during the day. Some people took the night shift. But there are, were many, many people went into this presentation before somebody very important. Here they are. Can you imagine their feeling of respect? being responsible in some way. They were part of the effort, right? And in the same way, Paul's imagining getting to heaven and going up and saying, 
These are the Colossians. They were buried under the muck and mire of paganism and idolatry and witchcraft, dirty-faced and on the conveyor belt all the way, but here they are, and they're robed in righteousness and the faces and they have eternal life. And see, this is the understanding, and here's the implication for you. Everyone in your sphere of influence Everyone in your sphere of influence must be, your aim is to benefit them, to further them in their maturity, either to know Christ to begin with or or to grow in character, in faith, in depth of knowledge so that when they do stand there as a result of being in your sphere of influence, your Christian service was all about perfecting them so that they stand there more complete than they would have if they hadn't known you in this life. That's what he's saying. Paul says, everyone who's around me, I'm just thinking, how can I perfect? How can I help this person stand more completed, more of their potential in Christ around this person, this person, this person? What do they need? Do they need salvation? Do they need Christian character? And then on that great day, there'll be the king of kings sitting there on a throne. And we're going on. We, we have people. We have people we're going to present. And we're going to present them. And you're going to be radiant because you are part of the team effort. That's what ministry is. Get them out of the muck and mire. Unbury them. Bring, with God's help, he's the only one who can do it, to life. Cleaned up and clothed and right and take the picture. There's going to be a selfie in heaven. Come on. (laughs) And he's saying, man, that's what the Christian life is all about right there. Saving, setting free, and in the end, presenting them in heaven, safe and sound before the king. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great passage it just helps us understand what's going, what ministry is all about. So now we ask as we worship and close the service that you continue to speak to our hearts and give us understanding. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.